All right, guys, welcome back to the Business Shift podcast. Very, very excited for who we've got coming on today. We've got Abigail Tiefenthaler. Oh, I said her last name right. Let's go. Uh, so I am so excited for her coming on. She is the getting client strategist. She's the co-founder of Savvy Sales Strategy, a marketing and sales agency that helps professionals stop premature selling and create marketing that drives the right prospects into qualified sales conversion and conversations. I love it. Abigail has spent her 40 plus years in marketing and business development, continually honing her skills, starting in New York City advertising, working on Fortune 100 clients. She found that client getting required a strategic and integrated approach few marketers really understand. So I cannot wait to hear all about that today. Abigail and Tammy Cray help their clients focus on simple shifts and marketing activities to bring in more leads and drive more prospects into sales conversations. So let's go ahead and cue that intro and then we'll bring her on. Welcome to The Business Shift, the podcast for online entrepreneurs who are focused on making the shift to business owners. We talk about what it takes to build and grow a thriving digital empire and the transition required as you grow. This is a shift I chose to make in my own business, your client success, and one you'll want to consider making as you grow from solopreneur to business owner. Please share and enjoy. Abigail, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for so having me. Yes, it's so great to have you on. I'm very excited to dive into your specific expertise today. Um, but I want to start with just your journey, your journey as an entrepreneur. You can go back as far as you'd like, whatever you feel was good for the podcast. But I just want to know that kind of whole journey from when you really started to pick up your business to where you are today. Well, I'm old, so that would take a long time. So I'm going to start at around 25 years ago when okay, cool. I moved from Florida. I moved from Pennsylvania to Florida with my yeah. two kids and my husband and was going to originally partner with two gentlemen. And we were going to sell million dollar promotional programs to mm. the likes of Coca-Cola and McDonald's and, and all of that. Oh, cool. And three weeks into the move, my husband was still in Pennsylvania. I got down in August to get my kids in school. My daughter was starting kindergarten. My other one got her into daycare. Three weeks into that move, the whole relationship imploded with the two partners. Mm. And my father, we still moved down in October. And my father sat us down and said, look, we don't know what the right thing is for you. I sat my husband and I down. I said, we don't know what the right thing is for you, but we think you should give Florida six months. Mm -hmm. And um, he, I had used him for a job that gave him the biggest commission of his career. And so he was going to gift me some of that money. So he just gifted it to me much earlier to get us started because my husband was a painter and wallpaper at the time. Today he's a nurse yeah. and my kids were two and five and I was, unemployed basically. Yeah. So I started a promotional products business and I started that because it was something I could do with a 486 computer and you're way too young to even know what that is. I was going to say that went right over my head <laughs> and a landline, like not even a cell phone. Cause it was 1997, you know, and those phones were like this big or something. Yeah. The big bricks. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I did. I spent you know, I just said, plan B is not an option. There's only a plan A. And my second year in the industry, I did a million dollars 
um, 1.1 million. In my fourth year, I did 1.8 million. And what I didn't know at the time was if you hit a half a million or more, you were in the top 5% of your industry. But I had clients like American Express and Alamo and and, um, Nova Southeastern University. I was in Florida and when I was doing this. And the reason people hired me was because of my 15 years in, you know, working in New York City ad agencies, working on the client side in in product management, working in all different facets of marketing where I was a problem solver first and foremost. Oh, yep. Those are valuable. Not an order taker. And, you know, Alamo didn't know what to do with me. You know, I was like, I'm going to give you three options. Just let me have a seat at the table. I didn't even ask for a sale. I said, try me out the next time you need a quote. And I quickly became one of their top three suppliers. And they did hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of promotional items a year. So, wow. Yeah, that was like the start of it all. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about your current business, because I was really, really intrigued by that whole idea of getting, getting clients and finding a strategy that I, I definitely see that there's, you know, quite a bit of saturation of DMing and all that stuff in the market today. So I'd love to know what your current business is and how you kind of came to like structuring that and making that happen. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the, you know, the concept of shifting, right. Mm -hmm. You know, a good business owner is going to shift. A practitioner yeah. is always going to go back to what they know best, but a right. business owner is going to shift as trends shift, as the industries shift, as their focuses shift. And my father, interestingly enough, when he was forced into retirement, he came to work for me because mm-hmm. I needed help. And he used direct mail back in the very early 2000s to actually stay in touch with our clients to get more orders, to remind people it was time to reorder this, that, or the other thing again, was really a very valuable tool at the time. And so as we were shifting, when Tammy and I started partnering in September, October, it'll be five years. We've known each other six and a half or seven. Um, We really, like email is still one of my favorite because it's got a high conversion, more so than a lot of others. But social media can't be, you can't not consider social media as a part of your marketing mix. And so what we do now is, here's the beautiful thing, is that Tammy and I have both built businesses. We both have done contract selling in the coaching industry specifically, right? So we're selling air, right? We're selling promises and deliverables. (laughs) You know, I'm not selling like a computer or a printed item. Uh, Right. (laughs) You know, we've, we've learned that better marketing leads to better sales conversations. Mm. Today, people don't want to be salesy. They don't want to be, they, they don't want to feel like they're forcing you into or they're order takers or they're transactional based. Right. So you have to be a good marketer. Yeah. To be a good, to, to, to create that type of sales environment for yourself. Okay. Okay. So want to dive into this and, and how to really be a good marketer. So what are some of those like one to three things that really will help you have better sales that you can do with your marketing? Well, I would tell you, number one, you want a message that's consistent. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing I can say to you is 
it's got to be consistent. You have to be focusing on the same problem solution to the same audience. And the more specific you can be, the better your chances of ultimately getting noticed. So whether you're on social media or emailing or networking or speaking, doesn't matter. The message needs to be consistent, right? I talk about client getting. I talk about the two sides and client getting. The second thing that you want to do is you want to be persistent. And what do I mean by that? Old days, after three times you were being, you know, you you were hounding. Yep. Now it's 18 to 20 times and they're just barely knowing who you are. So if you are going to constantly start and stop, and if you're going to focus on one channel, right, you Mm -hmm. ultimately want to be doing things on a number of marketing channels, you have more of an opportunity of actually getting that person when they're ready because marketing is a decision-making tool. It is not a sales tool. When they're ultimately ready to go, hey, you know what? I'm ready to talk to Abigail. Then you have to be able to work in their timing, not yours. So we that's why I talk about premature selling. That brings yeah. me to the third point, is you can't go from lead to sale. Yes. Right? So consistent, persistence, and then the concept of nurture, the concept of you've got to let people develop that know, like, and trust. You have to develop that authority. The lead gen is visibility building. Yes. Doing things like podcasts. I'm going to get out into a community. I don't know, right? Who doesn't Mm -hmm. know me? But now the question is, is what do I do next? Do they come into my world through social media? Do they opt into something I'm giving away for free? What do they do? And now my job is to nurture them. Now my job is to let them know I really am an authority. Yes. I really am credible. I've got to build that know, like, and trust so that when they're ready to say yes, I have something to take them to, right? I've always got a call to action. Ooh, okay. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So do you have a general timeline uh, that people should wait between the nurture and the let's go ahead and try and make that sale? I would tell you that it depends on what you're offering. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you that it depends on your audience. So Mm -hmm. if the world exists with the sales numbers as this, right? 3% of the market is ever looking to buy a specific four-door Toyota Corolla in gray with a sunroof, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But you've got 90% of a market that is somewhere in that decision-making process. Some, their car just broke down. They don't even know what they're going to do, right? right? Some, their car is now broken down the third time and they're sick of the bus. So mm-hmm. now they're starting to look at what their budget is and all of that. And right. some is, okay, I've started looking at cars. I just don't know what I want yet. Yes. Right. So that can take anywhere from one day to 10 years. And that's yeah. the problem is, you know, you and I, before the show, we were talking about the realities of being an entrepreneur and a business owner. There is no four hour work week. There is no plug and play. And there is no lead to sale that happens immediately unless there, there, are, there is an exception. And that's when you're using somebody else's list. Yep. Right. So if I'm doing an affiliate program or referral program or something like that, where you're sending out an email that says, you have got to talk to Abigail Tiefenthaler. She is doing this program. She has this thing. Because the nurturing has already been happening from that. You've done it. 
right? Mm -hmm. But it still could take time because somebody would say, gosh, this is the fifth, you know, message Elena sent to me about somebody. So now the credibility factor could be a play. Right. I would tell you that you need a good solid 30 to 60 days to what we call warm up an audience. Yeah. And I would say also that you're talking about emailing or reaching out to them, whether it's Facebook lives, whether it's, you know, DMs or whatever, maybe two to three times a week. And it's mm -hmm. give, give, give before you mm -hmm. ask. So mm -hmm. it could be, it could be a very simple, no energy training. Like right. I want to talk today about clarity. I want to talk today about confidence. I want to talk today about courage. Yeah. You know, very, very. And then after that 30 to 60 days, <clears throat> you might go into some type of free event. Yes. Right. So that's, you know, does that give you some timelines? It does. Yeah. That actually, that helps a lot. And so my, my next question is how do you, um, what has probably been your most successful strategy for generating predictable client flow? So cl a client flow that you can look at and go, okay, this strategy, right. It sounds like that nurturing piece of it is going to be a longer term play, but how could you look at it and go, okay, how can I make this thing predictable? The predictability comes again in that consistency and persistency. Mm -hmm. The model changes, right? At one point it was, everybody was selling into challenges, you know, do a challenge. Then it was write a book and, you know, sell it, use it as a tool to get on stages. Then right. it was do, you know, the, the, the live launch method, right? Jeff Walker. I mean, there's been a lot of models over the years. What we're finding is that, it's the launch method and we've been a part of enough launch teams to know how exhausting they can be is instead of focusing on bringing in the masses, focus on nurturing the right hundred people. So you can invite 20 or 25 to an event, have 10 or 15 show up and right. make that event something where they actually is going to walk away with, with actionable, implementable, deep dive solution to something. Yeah. Do you feel enough? Uh, a lot of people don't give that like yes. they're just giving information and they're not actually giving things that people could take away and learn from and use in their day to day lives. Well, or it's so top level that when the person leaves that event, that workshop, they are not quite sure what to do next. Right. Yeah. They're going around like, OK, I don't know how this is supposed to help me. Right. And the, you know, and the challenge right now that's going on is there are a lot of skill set experts. So they know SEO, they know book publishing, they know course creating, they know social media managing, right? They know how to help you hire a VA. But mm -hmm. there's nobody putting those pieces together. And quite honestly, most entrepreneurs, since they're not entrepreneurs, they're practitioners, don't really understand how those moving parts come together and when you should or shouldn't be doing. You know, mm -hmm. I talked to somebody earlier today who's worked with a coach for a year and a half, and now she's writing a book to basically sell a coaching program. However, she hasn't implemented the coaching program to know if it if it works. You know, she hasn't validated right. the offer, right? And this happens frequently. I talk to a lot of people who are like, well, I'm doing this to get that. And I'm like, that's out of order. 
Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of jumping around and trying to do things without actually think, seeing if the market finds what you're offering valuable, because that is ultimately the determining factor of our, our value as like what we're offering, because if exactly. the market doesn't see it, it doesn't matter if we think it's valuable. Right, exactly. And that's the, you know, again, the experts, the 20 year, 30 year, 40 year expert, they're telling, well, they need, they need, or they should. Those are not languages. Those are not words that empower the prospect to make the decision, right? Because mm-hmm. again, if you remember marketing is a decision-making tool, the goal is to help them come to the conclusion mm-hmm that maybe I need to give up caffeine to lose weight, or maybe I need, you know, something in this order. So I'm a strategist. That's what I've been doing for 40 years is looking at that bigger picture and then identifying the tactical pieces that go in place to get that strategy forward to a goal. Yeah, right. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts on this. I see a lot of people um, doing very similar marketing strategies, similar content, similar things that they're talking about. I think just last week I heard the same pitch from like 10 different companies and I'm like, Oh my God, like, why would I buy from any of these? So how do you recommend that you really differentiate your marketing? So you are attracting the right leads and you're nurturing them and everything, but it's not coming across as just the same thing that everybody's saying and doing over and over and over again. Well, I think, I think the focus first of all is to remember the give, give, give before you ask. Mm -hmm. Because if the call to action is always the same, then you get caught in the muddle of, well, how am I comparing dollars to dollars, investment to value and and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So again, being consistent in the message is going to help you. Showing up differently, really using your story because that's where your passion is, right? Mm -hmm. You came to be this person because of all of those things that brought up. And that's what creates the relevance. Nobody can take away the fact that I'm a daughter of a madman. Nobody else has that. My father was Madison Avenue, BBDNO, New York City, 1960s advertising. Nobody can take away the fact that my mother was a marketing person who ran a business out of her home when I was growing up. I, you know, that's my story. And that helps people understand that I use a combination of foundational pieces And Tammy is what's able to create the magic with all the trends. Right. We can help with gaps. We can help with that. Here, you're premature selling here. No, I'm not. Yes, you are, because this is what you're doing. Yes. So um, how do you tie your personal story into your message as a business? Because I think a very clear idea from the difference between a solopreneur and a business owner is the business owner has the business separate from themselves. And so how do you tie your identity and your individualness to the business and relate it, but not get it mixed up into one? Well, I, I think first and foremost, the stories of everybody involved yeah. are one of the things, right? So Abigail's got Abigail's story. Tammy's got Tammy's story. Mm-hmm. We have client experiences that we can share. Right. Uh, and, and second of all, I think it's important to really focus on the fact that you've got to tell the story in such a way that it's relevant, right? I can talk all day long about Abigail, but it's only important. Like there's parts of this that are more relevant than others. Right. So it's about really continuing to weave in 
you know, the foundational elements are missing. Chances right. are, again, even you using the word strategies, right? Most businesses have two, three strategies and that's it. And then tactics flow from them. So there's miscommunication. And I'm, I hate to say it, I'm a little bit of a marketing snob, you know, that <laughs> there's a difference between a strategy and a tactic. There's yeah. a difference between marketing and sales. They are yes. both same sides of, of, of coins, but their purposes are very different. Strategy is big picture. I'm going to win the war. Tactic is battle of Gettysburg. Yes. And what happens is when you don't have that strategy, you start doing a ton of tactics because you don't know what you're doing. Right. Yes. And people get so wrapped up in those tactics. So what is that clear then uh, definition of marketing and sales? And where is that line that cuts them in between and go, okay, there's a difference. So marketing is two. It, marketing is one way conversation designed to drive decision making. Oh, Sales is definition. one way conversation. I, I'm sorry. Marketing is one way conversation to drive, dr designed to drive decision making. Yes. Sales is two way conversation designed to drive a decision. Oh, can you say that one more time? Because that was yeah. Because so I didn't good. say it. Those right. definitions were so good. Marketing is one way communication designed to drive decision-making and it's prospect decision-making. Yeah. Sales is two-way communication designed to create or design to drive a decision, right? Mm -hmm. One's decision-making, the other is the ultimate decision. Mm -hmm. You know, I, where do I want to go on vacation? You might get, you know, if you put in, where do I want to go on vacation? You're now going to get a lot of different things from right travel agencies and, and yeah. whatnot. But when you ultimately make the sale, it's I'm spending three months in Aruba. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But all of those things that led you up to the 15 different things that talked about islands and which island. I mean, you had to go through a decision making process mm -hmm. to choose Aruba. Mm, I follow. I follow. OK, this has been so good so far. So um, one of my last questions to you is how do you adjust if you keep finding leads that aren't a good fit for your offer. Um, I work specifically in the client success space and making sure that clients can get through coaching programs. And there's a good amount of people that come into the coaching programs and just aren't good fits. And I'm seeing that as a result of the marketing not done well, because it's attracting people that don't understand what it's going to take to to complete and get the results of the course. And so how do you adjust if you keep finding those leads that just are not good fits? Well, number one, that's again, the premature selling concept, right? Cause they're mm -hmm. not leads. The lead has to become a prospect. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the marketing should be setting up expectations, who this is for, who this isn't for, what your deliverable and what you need to be accountable for. Mm -hmm. But the final stop is at the sales table. So again, if you're selling a three to $50,000 program, right? Something that's considered high ticket, that salesperson should be most interested in getting you into the right program, not yeah. making a commission. Right, right. Right. Yep. So that will probably, uh, do you think that as uh, from the perspective of a business owner, uh, basing your salespeople's uh, profit off of just regular pay and revenue instead of commission. I'm just curious as to what your thought is. No, I, I mean, commissions can be very motivating and there is nothing wrong. I like a base plus commission personally, mm -hmm. 
But I also think that a good salesperson isn't going to hang around if your marketing isn't right. So, you know, it becomes that fine toggle of how do we adjust? You know, if you're always bringing in people who are broke, right, or struggling to make the second payment, then you need to you need to remind them this is a contract. This Mm -hmm. is a journey. This is not going to happen in the first 30 days. And, you know, we all struggle because, I mean, we're guilty of it, too. We all struggle Mm -hmm. because we know also what a prospect can achieve if Mm -hmm. they do the work. So it's getting into that mindset to have them say, you're going to have some crevices. You're going to have some dark nights where you're questioning everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not a fan of self-study programs or, you know, go make your bookshelf really smart, but you never open it. You know, everything we do with our clients are considered high ticket, whether we're in one-on-one or we're in a small cohort. The goal is we've got to be there to give them access to us to give them courage, confidence, you know, and really those frameworks that help them understand not everybody is your ideal client. Mm. That's awesome. Okay. So my last question for you today before we finish up is looking kind of back now at your entire journey, what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to go from solopreneur? I've created a job for myself to, all right, I'm ready to move to business owner. What kind of advice, what can they do today to really help them make that shift? Get support, get out and outsource and delegate as quickly as possible. Know your zone of genius, know what you do well, because everything else, don't waste your time learning it. Amazing. So simple. I love it, man. This has been so great. So where can people find you if they want to be a part of your world, if they want to connect with you, potentially uh, need help getting clients, where can they go to find you? Well, here's the good news. There is no other Abigail Tiefenthaler that I have met in all my (laughs) years on Facebook or LinkedIn. So I'm in both of those and just take a screenshot of the name. Um, I also, you know, I'm easy. I actually include my email and I include my phone number in all of my platforms because if somebody needs to talk, they want some support. I'm here to help. I love it. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else to add before we finish up for today? No, I, I really hope your audience, you know, enjoys this segment. Yes. Thank you so, so much. I truly appreciate it. And let's go ahead and cue that outro clip. Thanks for listening to The Business Shift, where we chat about no-nonsense insights and strategies to help you transform your online business into a successful empire. If you or someone you know is an online business owner and are looking to increase the retention and ascension of their programs and outsource their fulfillment, I would love to connect. You can connect with us at yourclientsuccess.com. Until next time, keep shifting your business towards success.